I'm so excited about this episode today. I have a very special guest who I love and respect very much. This has truly been a long time coming, and you'll get that at the end. Anyway, my guest is an epic example of what it's like to have guts, the zeal, the bravado, to leave their comfort zone, the top of a successful career, and start all over again. In this episode, you'll learn what it's like to take a huge leap of faith, the nudges that tell you it's time, the personal deep struggles that people never talk about. You'll also learn about the strength required to leave who you have always identified yourself with and how to intentionally create a completely new identity for yourself and also enjoying the journey as you grow and transform. So my guest is a wisdom-filled wife, a mother, and an amazing, warm human being. She's also a yogi and a great podcaster. You'll learn so much more about her, and I'm so excited. So now is the time for you to grab a warm cup of tea or coffee. I'll be having a gingerbread latte. So come with me. Let's cozy up together and listen in. Let's go. Enjoy. Badassery is a daily practice of self-truth. You don't become badass instantly. You become badass by becoming a person of excellence, which is by having integrity, sticking to your commitments, and being consistent in your actions. Hi, I'm your host Paige, and welcome to the Badass Fabulous podcast, where badass stands for the clarity of your goals and gaining the courage to go after them. And fabulous stands for your state of being after accomplishing those goals. Because life is a never-ending journey of self-growth, on the Badass Fabulous podcast, you'll learn tools and strategies that help you align your body, mind, soul, and actions to your God-given purpose. Thanks for joining, and here is what we have for you today. So my guest on the show today had reached what she thought was her ultimate goal, and then she realized that there was a true sense of fulfillment missing. She then took a leap by leaving her path where she had been a medical doctor or a physician for many years, and then she decided to become a yoga teacher to mature women, or as she likes to call them, wise women. She's passionate about the connection of the mind, body, and spirit. And my guest today, she's now a retired pathologist and now the founder of the Yogi MD and also the host of the wonderful podcast called the Yogi MD Podcast. And I think she's also a health coach. So welcoming my guest on the show, Nadine Kelly. Welcome to the Badass Fabulous Podcast. And what a pleasure. And I feel like a badge of honor I'm wearing to be <laughs> a guest on the Baddest Fabulous podcast. Thank you yes. so much for having me. Absolutely. Welcome, welcome. So I'm so excited to have you here. Is there anything else that you'd like the guests to know about you that I might have missed? That sounds very succinct, very right. Wonderful. So 
2020 has been such a strange year for everybody, right? What would you say you're most grateful for? That is a fantastic question. I've been really thinking a lot about what to be grateful for rather than submerging myself in the negative. Because believe it or not, I do lean more towards the pessimistic. I have to make sure I balance myself and look for hope and optimism. And one of the ways that I've found to do it is to show gratitude. And it felt very hokey at first. It just felt like another one of those self-help platitudes. But At the same time, I've found a lot of power and peace in it, especially during 2020, to be able to look back and say, I've really gained a lot and I've matured a lot in this year. One of the things that I'm most grateful for is the space that I've had in 2020. Mm -hmm. And maybe it is because I tend to be a little bit more introverted too. and, And I wouldn't say that I don't like people's company or I shun it. But I actually do have learned about myself that I do need solitude and I do like quiet. And being at home has really allowed me to appreciate quiet and space so that I could do deeper introspective work. Learn more about myself. Be braver about making my contributions to society, learning what is important to me, what's not important to me, who's important to me, who's not important to me, who's really on my team, Yes. who's not. Yes. And all of those things have happened because of the space, because I've been in one place. So your journey, what were you most passionate about as a child? And how did you get interested in getting into the medical field? That happened because I am the eldest first generation daughter to Haitian immigrants. Mm. They are not college educated. My mother's brother did live. So my uncle, my maternal uncle, lived with us for a period of time when I was little while he was earning his medical degree. He is an ob And he was a role model for me. And there was just something that I can't really name necessarily. I was very, very young, besides having my uncle as a role model, that motivated me to want to practice medicine. I wanted to be, my parents like to tell me the story that I was a little girl and I used to play with my dolls and I would be pretending I was their doctor. So there was this calling from a very young age. And because I am a very determined person, I did not let myself waver from that. That's wonderful, but it's also imbalanced because I didn't, and I didn't have language for this. I didn't know. No one, no one knew this. This is very recent language that we're having for experiencing the journey and not just the destination. Mm, yes. So I was very 
laser focused on my goal to become a physician and I ignored and I thought I should say not ignored I thought that the path to becoming a physician was supposed to be imbued with constant pain otherwise it wasn't worth it oh wow so the pain like could you describe more of that like in terms of the work involved in getting there lots of layers to that question so it was and i've been retired now for almost 10 years so i've had a lot of time to really think about my journey and what happened along the way and so the pain was built in the hierarchy in medicine it was very much like the military my husband is a navy veteran And in our discussions and comparing our experiences, I did feel very much like it was a militaristic experience because it was always about being subordinate to the expert in that moment. What I mean by that is when I was in high school, it was about making sure that I was satisfying my teachers and getting as many A's as I could. I had to be excellent. So I didn't enjoy schooling. It was more about, no, 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 this is a job. I have to get this done. And then when I got to college, I went to University of Chicago. And the nickname for the University of Chicago is Where Fun Goes to Die. (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard that. That's so fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So so for me, that was the experience. There was no fun. I met my husband there, but the thing is, (laughs) but the funny thing about that is he was a political science major and he was getting bees. He's really smart. He was getting bees though, because he was enjoying himself. He somehow found a way to enjoy himself there. But when he met me, he shot straight up to straight A's because I said, oh, if you're going to hang out with me, we're studying. So we went to the library. Oh, I love that. <laughs> because again, Fun, I, was laser focused. <laughs> I was laser focused and I didn't enjoy the journey. I said, no, I have to make it to medical school. And so I graduated with honors, but I studied all the time. Mm, wow. Then it was medical school. Okay, so I found myself in medical school and I'm a first year and I was one of a handful of minority students there. So that was the other layer of the hierarchy, not really having, looking around and being able to see people that looked like me as mentors. And then it was, well, I'm just a first year. So then you, you first and second year are about studying the basics, so the book studies, and then third and fourth year are about doing the rotations, the practical application of what you learned. So first year, second year, you're waiting to get to that point. Then third year, it's like, oh, I want to be a fourth year where I have all this knowledge and experience. And then boom, residency. Residency for pathology was five years at the time. Oh, wow. And so again, now I'm on the bottom again. And I'm looking up at second, third, fourth, fifth year people, uh, chief residents and (laughs) and attendings and all these people I want to be like. And then it was, okay, once I get through this, I'll be okay. But then I decided to do a one-year fellowship on top of that. And then I went to general practice. When I hit general practice, same thing, youngest person and everyone was so much more seasoned and so much more experienced than I was. And because I was a pathologist, 
I was working with other teams. So sur- we worked closely with surgeons and radiologists. Well, surgeons, my interactions with surgeons were extremely unpleasant because they mm. could yell at you in the OR still after all this time. Oh, wow. They, yeah, they could give you a lovely tongue lashing because they were having a bad day in the OR. That's my mm. experience. I'm not saying all surgeons are like this, but a lot of times it was, hmm, I had to make sure <laughs> I know my stuff. So there was this constant discomfort and this internalization on my part, because I take responsibility for it, of never feeling like I was worthy enough. And I had to keep proving myself. And that's not fun. No, it's not. Yeah, I totally relate to that. And because now you work with the buddy, did you find that when you had all those feelings, you were always tense, always feeling so constricted, always just almost like a robot, like you have to be this, you have to be that, you know? So how did you deal with that? Because that takes a lot of stress on the body as well. So how did you learn to actually learn about becoming, being in your body? And how did that change? Like, when did you start learning that? And how did your journey start, you know, kind of transforming into becoming more of like, okay, I shouldn't be this tense all the time. <laughs> yeah. That's a really intuitive. What a great way to sum that up, that constriction. I didn't note that constriction because like I said, I was on a path to get things done. But years later, looking back, I go, wow, it was really not a good match for me physically because I am a visual and and kinesthetic person. So I do Mm. need to move. I think better when I move. And so how did all of that manifest in my body? Well, it really didn't start hitting me until I was practicing. Yeah, until I was practicing because, and so in those seven years of practice, because I was sitting behind a microscope. That's a pathologist's main tool of diagnosis. You sit behind a microscope and you look at slides from various Mm -hmm. regions of the body to make the final diagnosis to help a clinician manage the the patient's uh, issues well. Okay. Didn't even know that. (laughs) Yeah. So that's what the pathologist says. So you're think of a radiologist who uses pictures to make diagnoses to help a doctor. Okay, this is what you're dealing with. So then they know where to go from there with management and treatment. Well, the pathologist would look at blood samples and Mm -hmm. and, um, pap smears and what else? Uh, Tissue. So whether that means from a big surgery or something superficial, like a skin, like if you have a skin lesion that goes Mm -hmm. to a pathologist to look at, to say, okay, this is what you're dealing with internal medicine person or dermatologist or surgeon. So because now you have this information, now you know what does the patient need, how to follow them up, how long to follow them up. So the final Uh diagnosis. It started to change because we were spending more and more time behind the microscope. When I first started practicing, Mm. we had more ancillary help. We had people who were typing our reports and checking our billing and, and we were not doing same day biopsies. But as the practice progressed, we started to take things away. So then we started to do our own transcription via voice recognition. And then we started to do same-day biopsies. Then we started to increase the percentage of same-day biopsies. So that means now things are becoming more of an emergency, more urgent, and more sitting. Mm. So there were many days where I had to go, okay, 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 okay. 
I really have to go to the bathroom, so I'm going to get up now, and I'll just run, and I'll come right back. Okay? Mm-hmm. So how did that start to manifest in my body? I started to have low back aches. I started to have shoulder aches. I started to have regular headaches. My sleep, I was starting to experience sleep disturbances. I was having more and more trouble sleeping, falling asleep, staying asleep, however you looked at it. And so I was taking care of symptoms. I was a very good doctor. I was taking care of the symptoms, <laughs> not the root cause. <laughs> so, at that time. <laughs> so I did not take good care of myself. So I would do things like mm. control things that I could control. So what did that mean? Well, I could control how I looked. So why not try to be as skinny as possible? And so, yeah. And so I started calorie restriction. So dieting while I was behind my microscope. Um, I started exercising twice a day. And I'm not just talking about, oh, I'll go for a stroll. I'm talking about a hardcore get up at five o'clock in the morning, make sure I got like a hardcore 45 minute cardio or strength workout in and Mm -hmm. I was training to become a black belt in Taekwondo. So I would go after work to the dojang and practice really hard in a class. And then on weekends, I'd go practice extra hours. Oh my goodness. And then I was practicing yoga because I thought, okay, I need to be more flexible. And there's something about, there was something about it, even though I was finding it hard to slow down, there was just something about it I needed and I couldn't quite pinpoint at the time. So I did stick with a yoga practice, but it was a little bit more athletic than my practices right now. Then I had to get new glasses. That's when I got progressives because, you know, the eye strain <laughs> was causing the headaches and the neck aches. Right. <laughs> I was changing chairs because I thought that was hurting my back. It was the chair, back. right? <laughs> yeah, it's the chair, not me. It's <laughs> <laughs> then I was like, well, let me try to take melatonin to go to sleep at night. It was check <laughs> it was uh yeah do you, do you uh, mind cussing oh and please go ahead <laughs> it was a shit show okay right period, period. yeah <laughs> what i was doing to my body so oh, yes so how did it stop quite frankly i had to hit a wall before i stopped because remember i'm very determined so mm. it really had to be an emergency so i had to let myself get to a diagnosis of clinical depression. When you got that diagnosis and you sat with it, were you, did you fight it or did you, okay, you did. I've read a lot of people, you know, fight it at first. So what did that make you do? Like, what did you decide? to like do with it? I'm so grateful for my social support, my team. Mm. Kind of looping back to what we talked about before, and your team is always evolving through your life. But at that point, I'm really, really grateful for my team. I had really supportive parents, even though they didn't understand it. Again, it's not their fault. They weren't versed in mental health. Mm. Not in their culture, not in their generation. Just no, we didn't have that language. Right. So but thanks to them and, and how much they love me, they supported me 100%. My husband is the one who really helped me at home. I remember, I've never t- told anybody this, but I'm going to share. It was one evening. I 
was feeling so, so much like a failure that I remember walking up to him and I said, with tears in my eyes, wow, I'm crazy. And I remember him just, and my husband, if, if you knew him, he's not the most emotional man in the world, okay? That's <laughs> military not, man. <laughs> yeah, he's a military man. So he is, that's not in his wheelhouse to show you deep, deep emotions. But I remember he just took me in his arms and he said, no, Aww. you're not. And he just gave me a hug. So I had my husband, I had my two daughters who gave me a lot of strength and inspiration because they're pretty much one of the very, very few things that are most, most important to me in this world. So being there for them and, and being able to be with them and spend quality time and fight for them was worthy, was a worthy cause. I had a handful of friends who were also extremely compassionate. And anytime I was doing that negative talk about, I'm not one of you anymore, like my doctor friends, or I've, I've mm. failed, or any of that, they'd say, no, you were brave to make the decision to step away and stay away. That was brave. Right. So emotional, the social support was really, really important. Okay, that's big. That's one of the um, pillars of Badass Fabulous is having the right support system. So mm -hmm. I love that you mentioned that, actually. So how did you decide, had you stopped working at this point? Were you already on a break? And did you already know, okay, I want to move forward with yoga? Or were you trying to get clarity on where you wanted to go? How long did that take? Walk us through that journey. So no, I abruptly stopped practicing mm -hmm. and I had no clue what I was going to do. So then because I had been practicing yoga, I decided, okay, this is a perfect opportunity for me to deepen my practice, to find some answers, to do some self-study. And I walked into the local studio one evening and I told them I wanted to gain some clarity and deepen my practice. And they just happened to be starting a teacher training program. And I thought it was crazy. I did. <laughs> I'm a yoga teacher. Come on. And they said, no, 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 you don't have to teach. Not everybody teaches, but it's a way to learn more. And because I'm a lifelong learner, that appealed to me. <laughs> so I said, okay, let me try. Halfway into the training, it clicked. My purpose, my calling. Why did I become a doctor? That corny thing that you hear people say, like, I want to help people. That's really, <laughs> that was really what I wanted to do. Oh, wow. And so it just wasn't in the correct setting for me practicing as I was. So I decided, wow, this is an opportunity to be this kinesthetic moving person. I can do yoga. So I move my body, move it with people and move it with people who need it, who don't think they can do it, who are most of the time on the fringes of a yoga practice because you walk into a yoga studio and it's more about flexibility and can do and being on the floor. And based on my upbringing and my natural instinctual affinity for my elders 
it was just a lovely fit for me to be able to learn how to teach yoga to bodies as they were aging to maintain health and to prevent certain that. things. Yeah. yeah. So that's how I wound up being a yoga teacher. It, it, yeah, no clue, but I was a yoga practitioner and it just clicked and it made sense with my desire to serve my community and in particular, this community of women. Okay, so you were in class. The moment it clicked, you're mm -hmm. like, I'm going to do this. So you were already doing the teacher's training. Now I'm assuming you, you discovered your mind-body connection in that class. You're learning more about yourself and your mindset and your body. And then on the other hand is like that old life of, oh, but what would all these people think of me? Did you have doubts about how people or your colleagues would look at you or peers rather? But did you know how to move forward with that? Like, how would I get clients? How would I sustain this, you know? So how did you balance it out and how did you clear the fluff to like move forward as a yogi MD? I believe that there were a few things. I've, I was given a second chance. I was also the mother to two daughters. So I wanted to model for them real self-care and also embracing who you are on this journey. I had also been a practicing pathologist who diagnosed a lot of bad outcomes, who saw a lot of terrible things. I mean, we also did autopsies, not very often in practice, but I did a lot of autopsies in my residency. And so I was used to subliminally this idea of impermanence and that we only have this one life and you never know what can happen. Also, my mother was a cancer survivor. That's how I became involved with yoga in the first place. Mm. So all of these things were like a nice wake-up call for me to say, yeah, even though it's not fun to feel like I didn't quote-unquote make it or I couldn't hack it like everybody else, it was like, well, but that's not my journey. And I have something to offer. And it's not too late. I was only 40 at the time. And... So I just have to embrace uncertainty and do this thing myself and stop waiting for people to give me honors and pick me and choose me and, and all this external mm, validation. Like permission. Permission. Wow. Yeah. So I just knew I had this work to do and I had to give it a chance. And I had the social support at home again super important because it, it would not have worked if I had naysayers in my, on my home team. Then again, the people who were naysayers, I had to come to a point like, oh, you really have not walked in my shoes. So how on earth could you possibly mm. tell me what I should or should not be doing? Right. I call them the fire extinguishers. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to put it. <laughs> Oh, there's so many of them. Right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> what is mind, body, soul, spirit connection to you? And then how did you start, you know, practicing that or embodying those concepts? Okay. 
as I was in those last years of medical practice where I was practicing yoga and Taekwondo, the things that appealed to me about Taekwondo were similar. I love movement, but I really love movement when it's connected to a higher purpose where I am connected to my soul, where I am connected to my mind, where, where I can attain this flow, even though I'm working hard. I never liked, there are several things you could do in Taekwondo. One of the main things that gets a lot of publicity is sparring, sparring and kicking and punching. And that was never the part I loved. Don't get me wrong. It <laughs> felt very nice to break boards. It felt great to break boards. Okay. It did. But at the same wow. time, I really loved slowing the practice down and understanding why we were doing certain things. What was the purpose of this particular move? Why was this kick and punch connected? It, it allowed me to, to learn more about myself and to quiet all of the mental chatter. So that's where I started to feel this actual connection to body and mind strongly, both in my Taekwondo practice and in my yoga practice. So it wasn't totally foreign to me when I became a teacher. And then I, I don't hammer the ladies with, or my wise women with, it's, you don't need to say it. It's mind, body, spirit, connection. Like the, you're, you're more than just your dress size, the body. You're more than your body, just the dress size and my diet and all that. Remember, I did that and I, and, and I paid a price for that. Just being a, it just paying homage to my physicality and ignoring my mental health, mm -hmm. my emotional health. So I saw what happens when you are you put yourself into a one-dimensional box. So I, I thought it was very important to teach things during the class or during a movement. Here's a really good example. If I teach a pose, it's not just the physical aspects of the pose. It's how What's going on mentally when you're in this particular pose right now? What are you saying? What's happening with your emotions? Especially if it's difficult for you. Say it's a balancing pose and you're having trouble. Listen to yourself. Is it time for that negative talk? What is that negative talk serving? How is it helping you? And then once you start to pay attention to that in that particular situation, in that hard pose, then you can pay attention to it outside of that hard pose where you're doing something challenging or having a challenging discussion with a family member or, or whatever, or trying something new. Are you holding yourself back with that negative chatter? It's a habit. Mm -hmm. And so the more you can become, yoga is a great container to learn about yourself and those habits, whether they're destructive or whether they're helpful to be able to, to observe them compassionately and to minimize doing yourself no harm. So a lot of times, like recently, my last month has been reminding the ladies during practice, okay, you have an opportunity to practice no harm. What does that mean right now for you in this moment? What does mm -hmm. no harm mean? Is it self-talk? 
Is it I'm pushing myself to do this pose when I have no business doing this pose like this? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so you stop and you question yourself, like, mm. why am I... Why am I raising my arms like that when I've messed my shoulder is has terrible arthritis? Why? Because mm-hmm. you're so. Anyway, so yeah. it's up to you to satis- ask those, answer those questions. So I hope that answers how I try to tie in. I don't have to try to tie them, and they are tied together. They are but tied. Yeah. I yes. try to teach it mm-hmm. in a particular, in a great container that is yoga. Yeah. No, you you said that beautifully. So I love that you said the one dimensional, like people trying Mm -hmm. to put themselves in a one dimensional box. That is so true. And I also love how you breached that gap between Taekwondo and yoga, because I said Taekwondo as very, you know, I, I know it's all about like focus and so like very strainous. And mm-hmm. then yoga is more like, oh, you know, like very calming, <laughs> <laughs> you know, about the poses. So I love how you could take a part of that and see, oh, how this actually made my yoga practice kind of you know, more focused. So that was beautifully said. And I also love how you, um, you teach it because the, the women you're teaching, a lot of them probably didn't hear about the concept, right? Or these are questions no. they don't even ask themselves. So mm-hmm. I'm sure their lives are better, <laughs> you, you know, know just, yeah. I can give you a little example of that. It's really funny you bring that up because one of, we were, we were talking about this self-compassion one day and one of the ladies who's in her 70s, early 70s, wow. said to me, self-love? Nobody ever talked about self-love when I was growing up. It was about how hard you could work. Our generation was about hard work and <laughs> you don't stop and smell any roses and love your, she like, I mean, it was really funny to look on her face. She said, love yourself. I never learned about that. So yeah, you're absolutely wow. right. I watched a video interview of you and something I love that you mentioned was about seeing your five senses as rooms in a house to reduce Mm. stress, Mm -hmm. you know, and that sounded so interesting. So now that we're going into like this holiday season Mm. and the new year especially is how do people reduce stress? And can you also talk about the five senses with the room thing. I really loved that concept. So it was, I'm trained to become a yoga teacher for children as well. Now it long-term, I, I much, I'm better at teaching my wise women than I am at teaching kids. Um, but at any rate, I, it's from a book of, it's um, Murdoch is her last name who does this book. And it's a guided relaxation series based on multiple things to help kids early connect with the mind and the body and, and the soul. And one of my favorite exercises, and we can be big kids. So one of the, my favorite things to do was to read these relaxation exercises to my classes at the end. And this was one of their favorites because, again, it's not something you – stop and think about and appreciate, which is lying down for 10 minutes as they would, as I would guide them through this. And we would, I would actually take them through, this is the room with the large eye on the door. 
and then you would imagine yourself cleaning the room to improve your vision. And then we'd go step by step, vision, hearing, smelling, taste, and touch. And then we'd end with the sixth, which is intuition. And so after we're done with that entire exercise, your, your appreciation and your focus for all of those things hopefully is heightened. So when you open your eyes, then you can go about the rest of your day paying more attention to your visual input sensory input what what can you touch and feel taste hear smell all of those things wow. just it just helps to put you more firmly back into your body and not all in your mind with the racing hamster wheel they can be negative thoughts or habitual stories we all tell ourselves right. habitual stories that's true so what's a way to get you out of that and into your body and appreciating other things. Wow. So you're more present, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. well, I love that. And you're more willing to observe. Mm, yes. Okay. So going back to your journey, right? So you started um, working with women and then you started a podcast as well. And you're also an amazing coach, you know, a podcast coach as well, you, you know, with the Akimbo community. <laughs> so you. how did that come to be? And how did you know you wanted to put more out there with what you were teaching? Well, the doctor and me has always wanted to serve and his was really disturbed by the sickness model and the lack of prevention education. And so I found myself in classes wanting to do more teaching outside of the yoga practice. Things like bringing in, if I'd see an interesting article, say about resistance training for women, I'd bring that article in, I'd bring these handouts and I'd make these handouts and I'd be passing them out to everybody and go, hey, you know, this is new information. And then we could fashion a, a yoga practice around it. And so I was able to... I, because I, I really desired that educating part when the yoga, it was called a yoga fellowship, I'm sorry, podcasting fellowship at first in 2018, uh, Seth Godin and Alexandra De Palma offered it. I thought, oh my goodness, what an opportunity to take more of that teaching outside of the classroom. And I could just, I could have this, I could have more space to explore the idea of prevention and health. And because I'm also a health coach, I had done this uh, class where it was for women specifically for health. We talked about the multiple dimensions of health. So it being, as I said, not just the box of your body, but it's social, emotional, mental, physical, intellectual, and spiritual. So I wanted to talk to people about those different aspects of health. And that's how the Yogi MD podcast was born. What is your favorite yoga practice to do or to teach? That's such a good question. Oh, that's a hard question. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to answer this the, the way you might expect. But my favorite moments in yoga classes 
are, I generally come with an idea, a plan, like a, just a brief outline of what I want to do for the day. But what winds up happening is I, because I'm serving my wise women, I ask, what do you need today? And so based on their feedback, I meld the idea of what I came in with and I, with what they need. And there's this energy where you can tell this flow where it's, we're just this, everyone is just connected and present and the practice feels powerful and nothing else matters. Those are my favorite moments where, especially where it is, I like to do the slow burn thing because I believe in preparation. What is some slow burn? So for my classes, I'll start slowly and then we get, we Mm. intent, we get a little bit more intense, a little bit more intense, a little bit more intense, peak, peak, peak. And then it's time to cool down for relaxation. and, Mm. And my ladies love that. They say, you know, they tease me. They say, oh, you say it's gentle yoga. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the same time, they say, but you have us do these things that we didn't think we could do. Mm. Like if I had just coldly told them, get into tree pose on a yoga block this way. No, I mm. prepare them for it. I take them through steps I very, very slowly getting to that burn. And then there's this pinnacle and then they strike this pose and then they come out of it. And they're so, it, it's this revelation, this internal, emotional, mental, spiritual revelation about their capabilities and what that negative self-talk can, how it can be destructive and mm-hmm. how it can hold them back if they listen to it. So those are my moments. I guess another way to say that very succinctly, turning the light on for my students. When I see that light come on, I'm like in my zone. I'm like, this is, this is it. This is the (laughs) best of me. I'm doing my thing. And this is what I'm, Mm. I'm intended to do. Oh, I love that. Turning the light on. That's so fulfilling. It feels great. Yeah. Mm So what do you do for fun? I know some people do yoga for fun, but what would a yogi do for fun? What does Nadine do for fun? This yogi (laughs) loves a lot of things. So my hobbies, um, I'm a drummer. Ooh. Yeah. So actually for my 2021 version of my podcast, the uh, theme music is by me. My mm. daughter, who's a musician as well, she plays bass and guitar. And my niece, who has the most gorgeous voice. Um, and yeah, my drum teacher, Tim Buell, did the production for it. So he made it all just oh, wow. happen. I can't us. wait to hear it. It's, I'm so <laughs> excited. So I'm a drummer. I love to cook. It's just one of my favorite things. I feel like I'm channeling my grandmother when mm. I'm cooking. I love to um, exercise. I do, especially, I'm just still very goal-oriented. So I really like things that where I'm doing something and there's, and I know why I'm doing it and it, mm. it, it feels good and I'm mentally present. I'm just not mindlessly doing 
cardio or whatever. That's just not the way I like to exercise. Right. I love to read. I'm a, a lifelong learner and I love my family. I love my family a lot and movies. And movies. Nice. What are your favorite type of movies? Right now, comedy. Because oh, of the yeah, right now, yes, because yeah, <laughs> that makes you know, sense. action used to be fun, but it's like, oh, we've had so much action in 2020. I just want to laugh right now, right? So I seek out comedies and also really juicy shows. I love good storytelling, so anything yes. that's like a great show, like a Mad Men or a Breaking oh, yes. Bad or something like mm-hmm. that, The Crown, something that's oh, really I love the crown, well yes, written. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, so. I like things like that too, because I like to see how they do it and how mm-hmm. they're thinking about producing. Wow. That's amazing. Art. I need to catch up on the crown. <laughs> <laughs> so what is one question that I didn't ask, but if you give the answer, you would really deeply impact the person listening. I would say, if I could leave, a bit of experience that's helped me in 20 overall in 2020 and will continue to help me going into 2021. It's really simple. It's not easy to do, but it's a practice and you can keep refining it is learning to really be kind to yourself. Mm. I find that it's difficult for a lot of people, you know, they're kind Mm -hmm. to other people but mm-hmm. not themselves. You know, yeah. and here's something I will share that I practice of trying to practice what I preach too. Then I caught myself with the negative self-talk. I know I'm not the only person this has happened to because of the sheltering in place. I have put on a little bit of weight. I'm also perimenopausal. So, you know, I put on a little bit of weight and it's like, okay. So I was walking past my mirror And I was having this negative thought and I stopped and I looked at my, I did, I stopped, I looked at my face in the mirror and said, you are not allowed to talk to yourself that way. Because Mm -hmm. I imagined if someone came in behind me and said, hey, and said those same things I was hearing in my head to me, I'd be like, wow, that is so rude. Mm. So why was, why was it okay to do that to myself? So I stopped and I said, that's not okay in the mirror. Because wow. I do want to be nicer to myself. We, like I said, we only get this one life. I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Um, is there anything I can do to make your day better? You've already made my day <laughs> wonderful. Seriously, I love connecting with like-minded, passionate people who are making our community is a better place because I'm a deep believer in community and connection. So I thank you for making that happen today for me. (sighs) How was that? Don't you just love Nadine and the story about her journey? The calm and the warmth in her speaking, it just makes you want to take things a little bit slow and be more intentional about your way of living, right? We sure had lots of laughs and that was so much fun for me. So you can find Nadine at at yogimd.net. 
That's her website. Her podcast is called the Yogi MD Podcast, and her Instagram and Facebook is at Yogi MD Net. I'm not even going to tell you all when this was recorded because you'll all be mad at me for keeping this for so long. But I promise it was the technology devils that tried to hold this, but I overcame. And maybe I also had a part in it. <laughs> but that's all you need to know. So, in summary, I wanted to come on here and share insights and what I loved and learned about Nadine and the podcast in this episode. I love how Nadine discovered her calling at the age of 40. So many much younger year olds are feeling so stuck in the familiar or they're too attached to it and they're just so afraid of taking the leap. So better now than when you're 60 or 70 or 80, if that's you listening, take that leap. It's never too late to start over. I love her journey on how she made her leap from being a doctor to a yoga instructor while still serving purpose. It's also so important not to wait for people to approve or choose you to carry out your calling. You only have one life and in Nadine's words, do not wait for permission to be chosen. Go for it, okay? And I love this one that it's so important to carry out your calling in the right setting. I love how Nadine discovered that she had been living out her calling, but in the imprecise setting. And once she moved into the right setting and environment, other areas of her life seemed to flourish even more. So being in alignment is so important. When you're always seeking approval, directly or indirectly, it leads to feelings of not being worthy enough, which leads to a person not taking the leap, which leads to not enjoying the journey of life. So seeking approval and trying to be perfect leads to a journey of pain and not enjoying the journey of life, basically. Mm, support system. Yes, it's so important to have a support system because you can have naysayers in your support system too. Ignore the naysayers. Remember, naysayers are fire extinguishers and have no right to tell you what you should or should not be doing. The nudges. Oh, when you receive the nudges that tell you that it's time to leave where you are, it's best to listen because you'll get constant discomfort if you don't and the internalization of always having to prove yourself even harder. And this causes distress in the body, which could lead to worse. Remember how Nadine was getting all sorts of body ailments and was blaming her environment, the chair and so on. If you have no health, you have no wealth. And it's so dangerous to only take care of symptoms and not the root cause. So examine your life very closely. Self-study. 
self-study and being aware and mindful in your journey with the practice of slowing down and learning more about yourself helps you to see and receive the pieces of your life's puzzle that could lead you to destiny. So with Nadine, remember how on her journey in taking yoga classes and getting the click in an instant about what she was meant to be doing with her life. And then she took action towards it, which is why she's where she is in life today. Uh, The next thing I love is being mindful of the internal negative chatter and how important it is to control it and change it constantly to a more positive chatter. As I say, being bad as fabulous is knowing that the most important conversation you have is with yourself. Remember how Nadine walked in front of the mirror and had to correct something negative that she had said to herself? I really love that. I also love that Nadine creates the space to have fun and do so many other things that she loves, like creating the podcast to extend her teaching on prevention and also the multiple dimensions of health, the social, emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual. And yes, you need to listen to her podcast. It's so good. The link is in the show notes. And finally, I love how she brings mental health and healing to a generation that's so used to focusing more on working hard without really caring for their whole selves or even stopping to smell the roses. I love that she's expanding their minds and bodies as well. I just love it. I actually signed my mother up to take yoga classes with her and she absolutely loves it. Ah, so life kicks you in the tushki continuously when you're not doing what you're created to do. Life's all about process and in starting over, you need to give yourself the permission to have a beginner's mindset. Give yourself grace to honor where you are in knowing that you're leaving your comfort zone where you might have been at the highest and most successful level to a completely new zone where you're going to have to begin from level one. And that's the official end of this episode. Please share your insights with me by leaving a review on iTunes and subscribe while you're at it. I would love to read them. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until the next episode, be badass fabulous for the greater good. Thanks for listening.